0: Honestly, Sammy, me, my dad, and my mom always talk about how you must be adopted or something (laughs) because it's very strange to us that you're an upholder. Oh, wake up, wake up, rethink the status quo. When you get your money
1: right, then you're the one who runs your life. Come build a wealthy spirit with Sammy and Michelle.
0: Sammy, I'm so excited to share one of our early episodes on a topic that we both love, you could say are kind of obsessed with, but we really had so much fun talking about The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin.
1: It's true. Learning about The Four Tendencies was so eye-opening for me as an upholder, living with three rebels, as I talk about in this episode, (laughs) The Four Tendencies talks about How we're motivated to do things. It talks about how we look at our own inner expectations. Are we doing things just because we want to do them? And our outer expectations. Are we motivated by other people wanting us to do things? Or are we not motivated by other people wanting us to do things? Knowing these things has helped me understand other people so much better. I think especially as an upholder, somebody who is internally motivated and also Wants to do things for other people, it is very helpful to know that some people do not get motivated in the same ways.
0: Like me, a rebel, which we'll talk more about in this episode. And I'm so excited, Sammy, because I think this episode, Three Rebels and an Upholder, is one of our most shared episodes. Mm. It's still one of our most popular episodes, even though it was episode 10, people still tell me about it. And so after 130 episodes, it's so exciting to resurface this topic because it's still one of my favorites.
1: And please, if you guys find this interesting or you want to share what your tendency is and some insights that you've had about it, please go to our Substack and share it in the comments. We want to know what everybody thinks about their own tendency or what they think about the tendencies in general.
0: Exactly. BuildAwealthySpirit.com. We are known for asking our friends to take this quiz. We'd love for you to take the quiz as well. We'll share all the information in our show notes, and we would love to hear from you. Enjoy this
1: episode. Happy listening.
0: So today we're going to talk about The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin.
1: Yeah, Michelle, I love The Four Tendencies because they really help give a framework on how other people and yourself are motivated, which helps create goals that people will actually obtain. I
0: totally agree, Sammy. It's a topic that we heard about a few years ago and really helped open up our understanding of what motivates people, what motivates us, especially since we realized some common patterns within our family. <laughs> but I think the
1: question is, like, what are the four tendencies? Like, What's really the basis of the four tendencies? Absolutely, Michelle. As you were saying, The Four Tendencies was created by Gretchen Rubin, who actually wrote a book on the topic. Some of you all might also be familiar with one of her other books, which is super popular, The Happiness Project. But in this book, The Four Tendencies, she talks about how people respond to expectations because she realized that every single person responds differently to both inner and outer expectations. And what we mean by outer expectations is expectations that other people impose on you, like at work or by your family members. And then inner expectations would be expectations that we put on ourselves. An example of an inner expectation would be like New Year's resolutions or diet or exercise goals.
0: Exactly right, Sammy. And the reason that we think that these are important to know is because knowing your four tendency or knowing the tendency of your loved ones, your coworkers, your boss, whatever it is, will help you understand the best ways to construct goals and how to reach them and also the best way to communicate with others around you. So the four tendencies we're going to go into today are Upholders, Questioners, Obligers, and Rebels. One thing that we definitely want to highlight that Gretchen Rubin talks about herself is that none of the tendencies are better than others. Sometimes people, like, they might think that one is better than the other, so they try to shoehorn themselves into one versus the other. But Gretchen Rubin says that your tendency is pretty innate to you, so it's not something that you can change. So instead of trying to change yourself into something that you're not, it's more helpful to understand the type of person that you are and work with yourself.
1: Yes, Michelle. And first, we're going to be talking about Upholders. Upholders readily meet inner and outer expectations. And if they had a catchphrase, it would be, discipline is freedom. And I love that catchphrase because I, Sammy, am an Upholder.
0: Yes, if you know Sammy, you will be unsurprised to find that out by the end of the segment. So, like Sammy mentioned, Upholders readily meet inner and outer expectations. That means that if there are expectations put on them by their boss, their partners, whoever it is, if there are certain things they need to get done, they will readily add it to their to-do list and finish that task. And also, if they themselves decide to do something, if they want to commit to a diet, if they want to make a lifestyle change, or they just have their own to-do list, they will also get that done as well.
1: Yes, Michelle. And upholders also love things like planners, calendars. Schedules, routines. Upholders like a lot of structure, I would say, but then they also don't need people to give them a lot of structure because they will create it themselves. As far as responding to outer expectations, it's true, you know, us upholders, we do respond to outer expectations, but I think we also have very realistic expectations. So if someone gives me a task that I know will take five hours, and they put it in like a three hour time frame, I'm definitely going to be like, I can either, you know, do this, but cut this out, or I can do it, but it's going to be given to you Thursday instead of Wednesday. And I'm usually pretty clear about those kind of things, because I know I'm going to do it. And it's going to bother me if it's going to be done late or done crappily when someone expects it to be done well.
0: That's a good point, Sammy. Upholders, more than any other tendencies, are the best at expressing whether or not they feel like they can meet an expectation. All that being said too, Sammy, upholders have a tendency to keep to their expectations Inner and outer, no matter why, including the judgment of others. Sometimes it can make upholders seem cold or like they're so focused on what their main thing is. But if they have an idea or something that they want to stick to, they will definitely stick to it.
1: Yeah, exactly, Michelle. People might hear upholder and be like, that sounds like it would be very great and perfect. But the truth is, I think being an upholder can make you come off pretty cold. Because, for example, I always go to bed on time. And if someone's like, oh, like, let's schedule dinner at nine. I'm like, well, I'm just not going to be able to come then. <laughs> I'm pretty savage about it. Or like, if I'm out with people and they're like, let's go to another bar. I'm like, okay, that's cool for you. But I'm definitely going to go home right now. I'm never just going along with things to be polite. If I have a plan, I'm sticking to that plan.
0: That's so true, Sammy. And I think it's important for people to know with the upholders in their life that it actually hurts them more to not meet their inner expectations than it is to sort of let things go. So something Gretchen Rubin talks about is how upholders are often told to loosen up a bit or it's okay if you miss one day or whatever it is. But I know that for you, Sammy, if I ever told that to you or if something I recognized once I recognized that you're an upholder, that's just better to let you do what you need to do than to try to tell you to chill out or put my own projections on you. I think a good example of that, I remember we went to... Actually, this happened a couple of times where we went with a bunch of our friends to like a trip somewhere in like Arizona or San Diego. And, you know, we went out, we were drinking the night before, everybody was sleeping in. And I remember you just getting out of bed and going for a run because you go for a run every single day. Mm -hmm. And for me, I understand you're an upholder. And I was like, oh, have a great time. I'm going back to bed. But when you came back, everyone was so surprised that you had actually gone and done that when everyone else was kind of chilling out, sleeping in, taking some more rest.
1: Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that, Michelle, because like, whenever I'm adhering to my upholderness, going for a run or whatever, people do sometimes have comments like, oh, like, why did you do that? Or, oh, I should be doing that. Or, oh, next time, like, let me know so I can join you. And all of those comments, I'm just like, oh, I just want to go on my run. And, and like check that box off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, Sammy, I, mean, I definitely understand that more about you now. An interesting th- thing too, I was reading about upholders when I was viewing the four tendencies is how a lot of times maybe other tendencies will try to piggyback off upholders because they'll see that they're doing something consistently and they'll want that accountability for their expectations through another person. And it seems like it annoys upholders. One, it seems like upholders tend to be a little bit more annoyed with other people for not meeting expectations. Because for upholders, they're the type of people when you ask them, oh, how do you do that? How do you wake up every morning? How do you stick to your diet? How do you do X, Y, Z? They're the ones that always say, I just do it. And I think for sometimes for upholders, they don't realize that other people can't just do things. Like if I asked someone for advice and I was like, oh, like, how do you motivate yourself to run every day? And they were like, I just wake up in the morning and have decided I'm going to do it. (laughs) That would never that would never work for me. But now I understand that if someone said that to me, they would be an upholder and we just don't motivate ourselves the same way.
1: Yeah, Michelle, whenever people ask me that, I literally don't understand the question.
0: Speaking of questions, Sammy, that's a great transition into our next tendency, which is the questioner.
1: Yes, if the questioner had a catchphrase, it would be, I'll comply if you convince me why.
0: So questioners are interesting because they won't do something unless they understand why it needs to be done. As an effect, they're essentially only meeting their inner expectations because they have to believe in something to actually go and do it themselves.
1: Yes, exactly, Michelle. Whether they will agree to do something is determined on a case-by-case basis and only if they decide that it is something appropriate to do. I had this coworker and I was explaining on how to order labs. And I was like, you just have to check this box and this box. And then you click submit. And he was like, why do you check these boxes? And I'm like, mm, I don't exactly remember why, but you just have to check them. And he's like, why would you check them if you don't know what they're for? And I'm like, listen, okay, <laughs> I don't want any of my scores or anything to go off because I didn't check some box. Like, so Just check the freaking box. <laughs> but they need to know why. If you're a questioner, you want to know why.
0: Yeah, Sammy, exactly. I'm sure as an upholder, your impression is, hey, I need to check the box. Check, check. I'm good to go. A questioner, exactly like you said, they will actually readily meet expectations if they agree with it. But if they don't agree with it, they're going to be that person who asks why, why, why until they understand it. And if they don't agree with it, chances are they actually won't do it.
1: Yeah, questioners might see someone else, like an upholder or another tendency, And they might be puzzled by why that person is just so willing to go along with whatever expectations without questioning them.
0: Yeah, Sammy. And they'll even question basic assumptions like, why do people need to get married? Why do you need to have a nine to five job? They will question everything in their personal life, in their work, whatever it is. And a lot of times questioners can be a great asset in life in your group, whatever it is, because they're the ones who are taking a look at the status quo and saying, "Mm, but why are we doing these things?
1: That's a great point, Michelle. And they're the type of people who have like spreadsheets or they're Googling things to compare many different options before making a decision.
0: As a consequence, Amy, questioners can fall victim to analysis paralysis. I know I'm not a questioner, but this is definitely something that happens to me where I will try to over-optimize. I'll put together a spreadsheet of all the different restaurants in town, vacation places that we can go. And I'll just spin and spin and spin trying to figure out the perfect option when sometimes it's just easier to make a decision.
1: And this applies to their inner expectations too, Michelle. For example, something like New Year's resolutions. They may be willing to make New Year's resolutions, but they might find choosing New Year's day as a day to make resolutions for yourself very arbitrary. And maybe for that reason, they don't want to do it specifically on New Year's Day.
0: So Sammy, if you are a questioner or you have a question and questioner in your life, it's definitely helpful to know because sometimes people might find that someone asking them a bunch of questions makes it feel like they're questioning their authority or you might feel annoyed or you just don't know why they keep asking you all of these things. (laughs) But in reality, that's just their nature. And I think knowing that can be helpful because you understand, hey, if this person knows why I'm asking them to do something or they see the importance behind it, then that will help convince them to get involved and meet this expectation that i'm asking from them
1: yeah michelle that's so true i feel like i get a lot of patients who come to me and maybe they saw another provider and they'll be like well i didn't like that provider at all and i'll look at the plan from the previous provider i'm like this plan is perfect but really what they want is everything explained in detail and then once they know everything and they feel like they have an understanding of everything then they're okay with taking action on the plan so yeah i try to keep long appointments for these patients.
0: Moving on to our third tendency, Sammy, obligers. And obligers actually make up the
1: greatest population, according
0: to Gretchen Rubin.
1: Yeah, Michelle. And obligers, they meet outer expectations, but they resist inner expectations. So their quote would be, you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. Thus, Sammy. With obligers,
0: they are really great at meeting outer expectations. If their boss, spouse, buddy, whatever it is, if someone else is asking them to do something, or if there's an expectation that somebody else can see that they need to meet, they're really great at meeting those expectations. However, when it comes to motivating themselves and meeting their inner expectations, they find it more challenging. So this might be you if you're somebody who found it really easy to exercise when you were part of a sports team or were exercising with other people, but now find it difficult to motivate yourself to go on a run every day when it's just you
1: by yourself. Yeah, Michelle. I mean, obligers can be great coworkers because they'll take on whatever responsibilities you give them and oftentimes they'll get them done on time. They can be good friends because they're going to, you know, come to all the events that you invite them to and participate in everything that you ask them to do. But also because of that, they can get drained sometimes. And obligers can actually go through something called an obliger rebellion which is where they've pretty much agreed to so much stuff and they're totally drained. And then they just all of a sudden snap and they're like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to do anything anybody asks of me.
0: So true, Sammy. And with obligers, I think it's really important to make sure you do have a good idea of what you want to do and what you want to accomplish so that you do make sure that you don't pile on too many tasks or requests and then drain yourself. The nice thing about obligers, though, is that we do think it's one of the easiest tendencies to have because with an obliger, if there's something that you want to do, one of the best ways to accomplish that is to get an accountability buddy or to find a way to sort of take your inner expectation and make it an outer one. So, for example, if you want to go and exercise more, you can have a gym buddy. If you want to read more books, you can join a book club. Obligers are really good at being a part of these type of groups. And then once their inner expectation turns into an outer expectation, they're much more likely to actually meet that
1: expectation. Yeah, Michelle, obligers are definitely the most hackable tendency. And with that, we move on to the least hackable tendency, which is rebels. Rebels resist both inner and outer expectations. If they had a quote, it would be, you can't make me and neither can I.
0: Ah, yes, Sammy. I am a rebel, (laughs) as it turns out. (laughs) And I agree. It can be very difficult when you both refuse to listen to other people and you refuse to listen to yourself.
1: Yes, Michelle is a rebel and it's actually a pretty rare tendency. However, in our house, it is not a rare tendency (laughs) because my mom, dad, and Michelle are all rebels. And if we had a TV show, it would be called Three Rebels and an Upholder.
0: Honestly, Sammy, me, my dad, and my mom always talk about how you must be adopted or something (laughs) because it's very strange to us that you're an upholder. That being said, both as a rebel and as someone who has a rebel mom and a rebel dad, learning about the rebel tendency was so helpful. Just because it really makes you appreciate what you definitely should never say to a rebel. For example, for me, there is no better way to guarantee I will not do something by telling me to do it. Even before I found out about the rebel tendency, I used to say that my biggest pet peeve was people telling me what to do.
1: Yeah, Michelle. And as an upholder, It is really important to know this because I would never guess that telling someone to do something would make them not do it. (laughs) So it's just really helpful to know. Like if I tell Michelle or my mom or dad, put the dishes away after dinner, that's going to guarantee that they're definitely not going to do that. And whereas someone like an obliger might be motivated by some information like, hey, people are counting on you or the team really needs you to do this, rebels are not really motivated by that kind of information. For a rebel, the ability to choose is the most important thing.
0: Yeah, Amy, I can confirm that. When I learned about the rebel tendency, I learned to speak to myself better because I never put myself in a certain routine. I never ask myself to do anything. I will just say, hey, I have the day today to accomplish these three tasks and I can do them whenever I feel like it. I can do them at any time and no pressure. And then I'm much more likely to accomplish it.
1: Yeah, Michelle, it's funny because when I was first reading the four tendencies, a huge aha went off for me because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I live with three rebels. And I remember one of her specific examples was a rebel may not do well at school if you tell them to do well, but maybe they'll do well if you tell them, oh, you know, you would never get into an Ivy League school. And I laughed because literally that was exactly you. Yeah, I remember so many
0: people when I was growing up, I would be like, I want to go to like Harvard or Yale. And they would be like, no, like they would just tell me no. And I was just so determined. Like that I think was my motivating factor. Always. I would always do really well in school because I was so determined to prove people wrong. I also have a tendency to be in male dominated spaces. I played the trumpet and I was one of two girls when I was in middle school and high school. I um, remember not wanting to play the like, the flute or the clarinet because they were classically more female instruments. Even in sales, I almost like sometimes when I'm in a field that can be a little bit more male-dominated, even though I love spending time with women, just because I think there's a part of me that feels like, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. I can do well here. So yeah, it's kind of a weird reason to be motivated to do things, but I definitely find myself to be more successful when I can almost go against the grain or at least attach something to my identity. For example, when I was giving up sugar, one of the things that really motivated me was someone showed me a documentary about how the sugar industry is basically a giant conspiracy, something I'm sure we'll talk about later. <laughs> but nothing motivated me more, like knowing that I could prevent diabetes, knowing that I should take care of my health, all of these things never affected me. But when I thought the government was out to get me, I was like, you know what? At that, I'm not gonna be a Ponzi in this game. I'm just <laughs> gonna give up eating sugar. So it works. I believe you meant to
1: say a pawn in this scheme. <laughs> but they're Ponzi schemes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Michelle, you're totally right. I remember, you know, after I realized that about you, I would use that on my some of my diabetic patients. Some of the most uncontrolled diabetic patients are rebels, and I do try that tactic on them. You know, you're gonna outwit them or arts outsmart them by eating healthy and exercising and putting those screens down. (laughs) I find that that tactic works better with those kind of people.
0: Sammy, that's also a great example of why it's so helpful to understand the four tendencies. You can have four different patients, and it's best to approach them four different ways because they might meet inner and outer expectations in different ways.
1: That is so true, Michelle. You know, as an upholder, I think For me, it has been really eye-opening to see how other people are motivated because I really understand why other people act the way they do. I think before I would just be like, no, just do it. Like, why don't you just do it? I don't understand why someone would not just do it. But now I have a lot more clarity on people's motivations and people's reasons for doing things.
0: Without a doubt, Sammy. And if you're listening to this, maybe you can easily identify what your tendency is. Or if you're having a little bit of difficulty or if you just want a more formal look, we'll link to Gretchen Rubin's four tendency quiz into our show notes. Or you can Google four tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Once you find out, we would love to know what you think you are or somebody in your life if you recognize that they fall into one of these buckets and you're able to
1: maybe approach them a little differently. Yeah, if you find out your tendency, please contact us.
0: We love so much that you guys have been sharing our podcast. Let us know if you do. Tag us if you're listening on Instagram. We do love to see that. I think once I learned the four tendencies, I was able to understand and approach people so differently and myself. Like, I just tell myself now I can't do it. And it's amazing how. (laughs) Just kidding.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Michelle. It really has been super fun taking a deep dive into the four tendencies. And we hope you guys join us next week as we put down the rule book and rethink the status quo.